on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 20th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we catch up with Geelong Cats footballer Matty Boy. It's from Sharks legend Lynette Smith, Cardiff Panthers president David Saunders. We talk Pride and Inclusion Day with Annie Nolan, plus our State League wrap with Alison Schiller, Matthew Cox and Lauren Hodgson. All of that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. <laughs> I'm Peter Holton and welcome to the 20th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, which of course you can download this podcast and more than 70 previous episodes by going to iTunes or SoundCloud and searching for Girls Play Footy. And don't forget this podcast first airs as a radio program on Wednesday evenings, quarter past six Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. Or if you're outside of Melbourne, just download the RSN Racing and Sport app to your mobile phone, then click on Carnival. Our first guest this week is one of the forces behind the Pride and Inclusion Day, which is being held in Hamilton this Saturday, June 17th. One of the features of the day being, of course, the VFL women's match between Melbourne University and the Darabin Falcons. To talk a little bit about it more, we've got on the line the social commentator, equality supporter, animal lover, co-creator of Three Lives and Household CEO, the voice behind the Uncanny Annie blog, Annie Nolan. Annie, thanks very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. How are you? I'm pretty good. I've got a few sick children, but um, pretty good. <laughs> I'm holding up there, so we're trying to get it all together before the weekend. Oh, don't worry. They'll be right. Once you say the magic word football, then all of a sudden all the kids are up and about and excited. Yeah, exactly. I haven't got the team in yet. Team comes in on Thursday, as um, footy does. So <laughs> hopefully my team are ready to go on, um, by for the weekend, yeah. No, no, no one wants to see the famous brackets of the Windy Hill flu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. So, Annie, we've got the big Pride and Inclusion Day coming up at Melville Oval in Hamilton this Saturday. Now, as we have to ask, how did the idea for this day all come about? Um, so I, I was um, reached out to by a man called Charles Beaton, who's really been um, the mastermind of it all. Um, himself and his brother have a website called Gay That's Okay, and they have a really interesting story. Um, they're identical twins. Um, one is straight and one is gay, and um, his brother Locke didn't um, come out until he was 27, and it was a really... Um, Pretty, it's pretty upsetting story about how he just didn't feel accepted and uh, had lots of challenges with mental health and things like that. And um, especially growing in, growing up in the country, um, what adversity he faced there. So he reached out to me and um, sort of said that, oh, you have a lot of followers, a lot of which are from Hamilton. So you're probably the best person to um, help, you know, get the, the word out there about it um, and obviously a, a strong ally for the community. Um, so I'm just, I suppose I'm just a platform in which to spread the word about it and, um, yeah. It's an interesting concept, isn't it, to have the game in Hamilton because I guess when people think about the LGBTI community and all the events uh, for them, it's usually held in St Kilda, such as the Pride March there, midsummer around Paran, uh, the big LGBTI community up in uh, Fitzroy. But why Hamilton out in rural Victoria? I guess the interesting question. Yeah, so I mean, it's pretty a pretty simple one, really. Um, 
two things. One, there is often the misconception that um, people in the country aren't accepting. And um, we've seen a lot of that um, with a very famous ex-tennis player coming out and um, speaking on behalf of farmers and rural towns, saying that, you know, they aren't accept, uh, they believe what she believes and um, aren't accepting whatsoever. And that is just totally untrue. Um I mean, of course, uh, it's a little bit different growing up in the country. There's not access to things like there is in the city um, and people are often forced to uh, not be true to themselves in the country. Um, so that's definitely a real thing that's happening in the country. But we wanted to show how many um, allies and how many gay and lesbian and trans people are actually um, living in the country um, and obviously not just those three things, LGBTQI. So, um, yeah, and we wanted to highlight that um, the country isn't all about that. But also the other thing is, the second thing, um, mental health in the country statistically is um, a, a lot worse um, in the country um, and also then if you put on top of that being LGBTQI, it's, um, yeah, it again goes up again and the access to services and things in the country just aren't quite there like they are in their city and, um, yeah, like you said, there's lots of marches and things in the city for people to feel welcomed and I think it's time that the country areas um, show their support. Before we talk about the football on the day, it all kicks off, doesn't it, with a, uh, a big lunch being held at, if I'm correct, Alexander House, that's opposite the football ground? Yeah, Alexandra House, yep, um, across from Melville Oval. Um, yeah, and we have two panels there. Um, one will be a football panel um, with some experts in their field and the other will be an LGBTQI panel uh, made up of people that are um, in the community um, or there's uh, one other person, Angie Green, who has a um, organisation called Stand Up Events that will be on that panel as well. And she she runs um, like Pride and Inclusion in football um, and uh, a whole heap of um, things around that. Um, so she'll be on the panel too. So uh, the LGBTQI panel will be really interesting because um, we have people that are in that community, in the community, and also live in Hamilton that will be on it, or are farmers, or you know have their stories to tell. And so people, yeah, are buying a ticket, and they will be. Um, able to have the privilege to listen to these people and I think it's going to be a heap of laughs but also um, pretty moving. I'm, I know that I'm probably going to be emotional from the second that everyone starts talking um, but yeah, it'll be a great day. If we focus on the football, it's being hosted by the Hamilton Kangaroos Football Club. They will be the uh, last game on the Oval around about 5, 5.30pm uh, in the uh, uh, HFF now uh, game against the uh, South Warnable team. But beforehand is a special event. It's the VFL Women's Game. Now, of course, as we are at RSN Carnival covering the game uh, live on air for the 3 o'clock bounce. The question is, how did Melbourne Union Darabin get involved in agreeing, I guess, to move a game three hours out of Melbourne to Hamilton? Mm. Yeah, so they've been absolutely unbelievable. Um, we reached out to them because they were, this is like the grand final rematch, um, but also they have about 40 AFLW players that, amongst them that will be um, heading down there. And so, I mean, we all have seen what the AFLW have done um, in this space. 
um, in its very, very short time that it's been around and um, stories of um, people, you know, coming out or, um, you know, having partners uh, playing for opposition teams and all these really interesting stories. And so they've they've really moved this space um, ahead and it was just kind of a no-brainer to get them involved and they were so willing and they've been so amazing and really, um, really helpful and we can't thank them enough for coming down. I think um, the Hamilton people are just so thrilled that they're going to be having so many superstars in their town playing such a monumental game. Um, yeah, it's a real privilege. And they've really gotten right behind it as well with some special commemorative jumpers as well. Yeah, yeah. So both of um, Darabin and Melbourne Uni are wearing rainbow jumpers and also the Hamilton senior team that you're just talking about um, have adapted their top as well um, to replace the kangaroo. Well, the kangaroo is still there, but the kangaroo is in rainbow colours and all the numbers on the backs are rainbow colours. So the three clubs have just been, you know, gone above and beyond and we couldn't be more grateful really. After the day, what do you hope will come out of Pride and Inclusion Day? Yeah, I, I hope that um, just by uh, being there and saying that it's okay and, like, I mean, the whole premise of what Charles' organisation is is gay, that's okay. And we want people to know that it is um, footy. Footy is often the heart and soul of a country town, whether or not you like football or not. And we've had so many messages from people saying that I'm not really even a footy fan, but what you're doing is so amazing and I'm so supportive. Lots of people saying they've had to move out of their country towns because they just um, didn't realise that they were accepted and they had so many um, allies or other people in their community even living there. So, I mean, even if this, like, helps one person, it would be amazing. But um, also with all the funds that we are able to raise on the day will be going to the Western District Health Service, um, their LGBTQI um, department, and hopefully that will go towards um, mental health, particularly in um, the LGBTQI community. So, um, I mean, there's lots of things to be gained from it. I also think that not only will this help people in Hamilton, but it'll definitely get um, the message out there for other people living in country towns, and I'm sure it'll get um, enough media that it'll spread and people in country towns, even outside of Hamilton, will realise that, um, you know, there are plenty of people that accept them. Um, and also, I suppose the final thing is... Um, this is about pride and inclusion and so this is not just about the LGBTQI um, community, this is also a gender thing uh, about women and the roles that they play, um, that's why we have the two women's teams coming down as well, um, showing that, uh, I mean, as anyone that's grown up in a country town would know, women, I've seen women rouse about sheep and herd cattle and um, run local shops and all that sort of stuff, women play massive roles in the country and I think that um, this the two women's teams coming down will just highlight that again and just to move the gender equality space as well um, yeah and uh, just quickly I know everyone's really focused on this Saturday but I guess what are the hopes going forward are we looking at an annual event in Hamilton or perhaps it moving around from town to town throughout rural Victoria Ah, uh, wouldn't that be fantastic? I, I would just love that if that was able to um, happen. Um, I'm definitely hoping that something like that does happen. Um, at the moment, I'm just concentrating on making this weekend 
an absolute blast um, because I just want it for now just to go so smoothly and um, for it to really move people um, in the community like whether or not they're, you know, straight, gay, whatever. Um, I just want it to be a real success this weekend. But if it is, I really would love that. An annual thing would be fantastic. I suppose we just haven't put all that much effort into thinking about long-term. Um, at the moment, we're just trying to get this weekend going smoothly and um, with great success, which I think it will will go with great success. Um, if um, anyone has been following what's been going on in Hamilton, like, Virtually the whole main street has been transformed into rainbow colours. Um, we've just said to the people in the town, whoever um, support the community, if they would duck out their front windows with rainbow colours just to show their solidarity, that would be fantastic. And they have. And, you know, that is just amazing. I, I just hope that, um, it, you know, there might be a young kid in that town that might be a little bit confused or a little bit, you know, worrying about their life. And um, I just hope that they realise that they have the support of the town. And for me, that, that short-term goal is just enough for now. But, yeah, hopefully in the long term we can keep doing it. And hopefully one day, like, gosh, the main goal would be that we won't even have to do things like this. I mean, um, it's always great to be proud, though, and I think that it will always happen. But, um, you know, to have to say gay, that's okay. With the reason we have to say that is because some believe that it's not. And I hopefully we don't even have to say that phrase anymore. Well, Annie, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best and all the greatest success for the Pride and Inclusion Day happening at Melville Oval in Hamilton this Saturday. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> and again, a quick reminder that the VFL Women's Match is part of the Pride and Inclusion Day between Melbourne University and the Darabin Falcons will be our match of the day on RSN Carnival on Saturday, on air at 2pm, first bounce at 3pm. Another big day happening this weekend is on Sunday, June 18th, where it sponsors some past players day for the East Fremantle Sharks in the WAWFL. They're celebrating 30 years, and we've got on the line club legend and life member in Lynette Smith. Lynette, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks, Peter. You must be fairly excited for this Sunday, June 18th. It's not just any old sponsors and past players day at East Frio, but your big 30th year celebrations. Yeah, 30, 30 years, long time coming, um, and first time that we've, we're trying to get a past players game happening. It sounds like it's going to be a huge day, but let's step back in time a moment. Now, for 30 years, you weren't fully East Fremantle. You are originally born as the Melville Women's Football Club. Yeah, that's right. Um, back in 87, um, there were four amateur clubs approached um, in uh, in the Perth District to take on... Um, a newly formed women's league competition, um, one of those being Melville in 1987, um, where we were affiliated with the Melville Rams. Uh, and then um, there on uh, corner of uh, Stock Road and Canning Highway, um, they took us in and 1988 were the first games played um, and I started playing in, in 89. So only when you were two years old. We don't want to give away your age. Only only when you were two. You were, you were a toddler out in the field. <laughs> so back in 89, but there was some success, wasn't there, early in the years for Melville? Yeah, um, we had back-to-back premierships in 1990-91. Uh, we, were, we were quite a strong club then because, um, unfortunately, 
in the previous year, 89, uh, Mount Lawley won the premiership and then they, the club disbanded and we got um, a few of the girls that came over to us, um, which increased our numbers and um, our talent. And um, we got a new coach on board and, uh, yeah, we got uh, two premierships. A fantastic way to start what would be a rich history for the club. And originally, as you said, you started as the Rams and you're wearing the green and gold originally. Green and gold. We're actually, uh, yeah, the men's were Melbourne Rams. We were the Melbourne Warriors. Uh, green and gold. Um, so we got the men's off-cast jumpers um, that, you know, the old woolen ones didn't quite fit properly and when they got wet, they were very heavy. Um, back in those days, there, there weren't many um, women cuts to anything, uh, especially the shorts. So we, uh, there were, um, weren't any set rules or, or branding to what we wore for shorts. It was more just the jumper and then whatever you could get your hands on for the shorts. So we wore, actually, men, most of us wore the men's shorts which sometimes were, as you remember, were quite um, small. And you can imagine this is a long way from AFLW and the spotlight on women's football. So what were the numbers like back then of getting players on the training track and I guess the Sunday morning call around to try and get enough to play? Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we were sort of fairly healthy in, in the way of numbers, but, yeah, just to turn up to training. There were some days that, you know, we would get you know, five five girls turning up to training. Sometimes, you know, the coach wouldn't turn up. Uh, and it, it was really difficult, especially game day. You know, we had to start with 12 on the field. Um, initially, we only had to have um, play with 15 aside. So it was it was really hard. And we, we had to put up with a lot of um, ridicule and chauvinistic comments from, from all over, not just men, but women as well. You know, that women shouldn't be playing football and um, they should be in the kitchen and all those sort of comments came out. So, and, um, yeah, so it's it quite hard. So we just pushed past that and, um, you know, tried to build up our numbers as much as possible. The girls, um, they, they come and go very frequently. So we're always recruiting new new numbers, new to football who hadn't even played before, so we had to reteach or retrain girls in, in the skills. When did the move come about to go to East Fremantle and become now the Sharks? We went to East Fremantle about 2007, but we were the Melville Sharks. We wore the East Fremantle jumper, but it was purple and white, which uh, the opposition team will be wearing on Sunday. And with um, discussions with our then president, um, Kylie Fuller, uh, in discussions with East Mantle, amalgamated with them and known as we are today, um, East Mantle Shark. It must be a big call, isn't it, to staffing your grassroots at Melville to move to eventually become East Mantle and, and change uh, how you look from when you began? Yeah, I remember being in that meeting and they were talking about it, you know, changing our name, changing our uniform, and I'm going, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want the old Melville, you know. And so it, it was sad in a way, but I knew that we had to move forward and become a stronger club and, and have a name for ourselves. And we still have the um, MWFC on the back of our jumpers, so we've still got our history uh, there as well. But, yeah, it was hard changing over. As you said, going back 30 years ago when you first began, there was a lot of ridicule of women playing football. For you, when did you feel it started to turn, that respect started to come to the women's game? And not only respect, but also the attitudes of women playing the game turning towards professionalism. Uh, I think when the first games were 
on free-to-air TV. That was, I think, 2014 they got first got aired. And I think then, you know, the, the public could actually see women playing football uh, just as well as the men. You know, they hit hard, they go in hard, they can kick, you know, they can mark, you know, even some of them taking screamers. So I think that's when it, it started to turn and we got a, a lot more support, especially from uh, commentators and you know, people like that who have sort of been on our side, but you still get those remarks coming through on their interviews or, um, you know, radio talkback shows and stuff like that. We now have AFLW to aspire to. What has that meant for numbers now at East Fremantle, those that are wanting to sign up and wanting to play across various age groups? Yeah, well, um, I'm also the East Fremantle district female representative, so I'm also involved in the junior girls. And just there we've got, um, because we're in the Fremantle Conference, which includes South Fremantle, so we've got 14 new under-12 girls teams this year and about four under-15 girls teams. So the increase there has been fantastic. We've got our youth girls at East Fremantle were sort of struggling with numbers last year. We've now got about 27-plus registered for the youth girls and uh, with our reserves and league, we've got in excess of 90 girls over that and and about, I think, 60 of them are new girls this year. So the increase has been fantastic. We're looking now in the future on how we're going to get these girls all again because at the moment, um, if you're not training or if you haven't paid your fees, you don't get a game. So, you know, we want to keep these girls in, in women's football. We don't want to lose them to other sports, so we have to keep that interest there. Certainly, and I guess it's a pleasant headache in a way that all clubs are experiencing at the moment, the influx of mm. players coming in. Um, to- yeah, we're not the only ones. So. <laughs> to- talking about uh, players, uh, obviously uh, a number of women would have gone through the doors in the last 30 years. In your humble opinion, what's some of the best footballers you've seen pull on either a Melville or East Fremantle jumper? Oh, my gosh. Um, there are too many, too many, too many there to um, even name. Well, you've got Amanda Crean, who's, I think, three-time WA Women's Football League fairest and best. Um, and I'm not sure how many she is with East Fremantle, if any. Um, Belinda Bentley, she's also Women's League's fairest and best and been 2004, five and six for our league fairest and best. Uh, we've got Mel Caulfield. She's also multi-fairest and best for the league and 2011 and 12. Uh, for Eastern Marshall, Tia Haynes, um, Kirby Bentley, and, you know, now we've got the Kirby Bentley Cup named after her. Um, There's just numerous amount of talent in our girls, you know, that have played, put on the boots for Eastern Marshall or Melville. A rich history it is indeed, and I guess the good news for you is not obviously some of the current AFLW stars still running around for you and will be on Sunday, but many coming back uh, to the club on Sunday for this oldies game you've got on. Oldies game, yes. I've um, dragged up our our captain from um, 89, Lynn Kay. She'll be pulling on the boots. Um, I did the uh, the before the siren um, PF event at South Mandel. So she, you know, got the feel for the, the footy again. Um, we've got Belinda Bentley coming back. 
uh, as you said, all, all those great names, obviously yourself being involved. And we shouldn't downplay yourself because, as we said, you're a, uh, a life member, a club legend, and more importantly, the Volunteer of the Year Award is named after you at the WAWFL. How does it feel to have your name on that trophy? Um, I actually felt quite um, humbled by being, you know, having having that accolade against my name, I guess. Um, and, of course, when they decided I wasn't in that meeting. Um, so, you know, when they started talking about it, it was quite a surprise. And, and I felt quite honoured to take on that role and, um, or, you know, have the, the award named after me. Um, I haven't stopped volunteering. I'm still volunteering um, to the fact that, uh, the grassroots book that the Department of Sport and Rec have just put out. Um, I'm in there with my beloved shark mascot and also on the, the um, Department of Sport and Rec foyer wall. So I was one of the 42 volunteers that are in that book. That is an incredible honour and uh, no doubt you'll deserve all the pats on the back this Sunday for this extraordinary Sponsors and Past Players Day. Just again, for those that want to head along to check out the game, where again is that location for those that want to find the Oval and, of course, everything that will be happening on the Sunday? It's at Eastern Mantle Oval on Marmion Street. Uh, starting The youth girls are starting at 10 o'clock. Um, the, our, our game, the old old girls game at 11.30, followed by the league match at 12.30, followed by the reserves match. Well, Lynette, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best this Sunday with the East Fremantle Sponsors and Pass Players Day celebrating 30 years of the Melville and East Fremantle Women's Football Clubs. Thanks very much, Peter. And if anyone else, um, if anyone wants to come down um, and cheer us on, they're more than welcome. Our next guest is a young gun in the Victorian women's footy scene. She, of course, over the last couple of seasons was playing with the North Geelong Magpies and the VWFL. In 2017's AFLW season, she played with the Melbourne Demons, but in 2018, she'll be playing with the GWS Giants. However, right now, as we play VFL women's football, she's got the hoops on of the Geelong Cats. And we've got on the line... Maddie Boyd. Maddie, thanks very much for joining us. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad at all. You must be enjoying this VFLW season so far. It was a bit of a struggle last year with the Magpies, just the one win, but four rounds in and you're three and one. Yeah, three and one, so good start. Um, yeah, like historic uh, first win over Box Hill at Simmons, so that was a pretty historic day. Um, yeah, just an historic match for the... The region, so um, yeah, and then then win over um, Fifi. They're a bit of a traditional rival in the past. Um, yeah, and then um, then Cranbourne in um, some pretty tough conditions. So yeah, it's a good start. But um, yeah, obviously we had that loss um, last week against Dino. But um, like they're you know an experienced side, and we're. Um, We've got a few players that haven't even played before, so, you know, we'll just get better each week. And um, I think that's just the expectation, just to get better each week. What's it been like going from a suburban club, as much as you've obviously had uh, the experience at Melbourne, but at least for a number of North Geelong girls, going from a, a small suburban club based out at Osborne Park to now jumping into camp with the Geelong Cats and all the facilities and everything they have at Cadinia Park? Yeah, I know. It's been amazing. Like, um, and the girls have just really embraced it. Like, they've gotten so much fitter and, um, yeah, stronger. And, um, 
they're just you know, taking it all in their stride. So, um, you know, we're having like full access to um, a fair bit of access to the gym and um, all the facilities down there at um, your Park. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. Just to give us a bit of an insight, what would be like a typical training week for you when you were back at North Geelong to now having obviously the access to all these facilities and coaches at Geelong? Yeah, so, so like back at um, Osborne Park, it would be just, you know, your two training sessions a week. But um, now we're doing like, um, you know, gym sessions as well, um, which is so important with your, your training, like it's an integral part. Um yeah, it's just that sort of thing. Um, and, of course, recovery as well. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just much more professional and um, a much more elite environment, which is great. And it's great that it's pushing the girls along, particularly those that are new to the sport. Uh, quite a, a number of players that we've seen. One of them that's impressed us so far, former Geelong Supercats basketballer Anna Teague. Yeah, she oh, had a great start. Um yeah, great um, <laughs> basketball convert. Um, yeah, she's really, uh, really um, had some great games so far. So I think she'll be one to watch, and um, I really hope she, you know, has a chance of getting drafted because I see her as like a great potential. And also Blakeway as well from Ocean Grove, who on her home deck kicked a few goals against Seaford. Yes, she's another one to watch, I reckon. Um, she's had a fantastic start and goes hard and um, always gives 100%. So, yeah, she's another great one to watch. During the off-season as well, you managed to get a recruit who actually lived in the Geelong area but was playing originally at Melbourne University in, in Rebecca Goring. And, in fact, she was named captain of the Cats. For, for you personally, what stands out to you about Beck Goring and her leadership style? Oh, Beck's great. She, um, yeah, she's just another one that, that always looks like gives a hundred percent, and um, she just leads by example, I think, and um, oh, a fantastic leader for the club. And um, yeah, she's actually away at the moment, but it would be good to have her back uh, leading the side. So yeah, she's great. How mad for you personally having all these new players come in, such as, um, unfortunately she's out with the knee, but originally you had Jordan Ivy at the start. You've had Kate Darby come in, obviously from Carl. You've had Brooke Surgeon. Uh, Crystal Woodruff originally from Bacchus Marsh played at North Geelong now, obviously with you at Geelong. What's it like having this new quality come in and help you? Because we felt last year at North Geelong, yourself and, and Rochelle Cranston, and then when Lily Mithin joined later in the year, that you almost had to carry the workload between you. It seemed from the game that we saw against Seaford, the workload is much more balanced and possibly less pressure on you. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more balanced, which is nice. Um, yeah, it's just, it's good having that um, support around you. And yeah, like the North Geelong girls, um, they've gotten a lot fitter too. And I think it's really, yeah, helped balance it out. Um, you almost sort of like um, taking, you know, the experience of those skills that have come across from the elite sports and the talent from the North Geelong, like the footy background and sort of merging them together and hoping you get a bit of a balanced squad. So, yeah, it's checked out. And I think um, as the season goes on, we'll improve. And, um, yeah, I think that's just the main expectation, just just to keep improving. You talk about North Geelong and how fitter they've got. They've just been about smashing every side in the AFL Goldfields competition this year. 
Yeah, they have. Yeah, um, yeah they've been going really well. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't know much about the new Oldfields League, but, um, yeah, they've had a great start. So hopefully that continues. And how much contact do you still have with North Geelong? Is it a case of you've kind of stepped away a bit now because obviously you're focusing on your training and everything at the Geelong Cats, or do you still find yourself popping down there and supporting the Magpies at Osborne Park? Yeah, I've been down a few times, actually. I, I try and keep in contact because, um, yeah, like obviously that's where I started my footy. And, um, yeah, I sort of I owe it to them um, that they gave me that opportunity initially and... Um, yeah, I want to continue that support. Yeah. Now, of course, as we know, you were with Melbourne throughout uh, the 2017 AFLW season, and of course, you've you stepped into Geelong. Now, how close to the season was it that you finally got into Geelong? Because obviously, there would have been a, a mandated break that you have between AFLW and VFLW. Yeah, so I did have a bit of a break. Um, yeah, it was probably only a few weeks out before the season actually started that I sort of um, started training with them and uh, tried to quickly get to know the girls and stuff. So, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't long before the season started. Now, I'm guessing, obviously, obviously at Melbourne, you're doing at least a minimum of three nights a week uh, and a lot more um, and gym work as well, because then you're as a paid semi-professional. Um, as you come to Geelong at VFLW, do you find yourself scaling back in training a bit, or do you find that you're doing a little less at the club, but you're having to take it upon yourself to try and keep up your base load of training throughout the week? Well, with Geelong, it, like, they're kind of running it, um, well, in my opinion, like an AFL women's side. So, um, you know, I think they're setting themselves up really well um, for when they eventually uh, do get one. So, um, like, I've scaled back training a bit and they monitor the load. But, um, yeah, they're running it so professionally and um, they're, you know... Um, holding themselves in good stead for when they do um, get an eventual license. So, and hopefully that will be in 2019. <laughs> and how do you feel that uh, in a couple of weeks' time, actually, uh, as Geelong, you'll be playing against Melbourne University. Not only will that be a big game with the uni going well at the moment, but you're technically a curtain raiser. You're playing on St Mary's ground, which is outside Cadinia Park, but you're leading mm-hmm. into the game at one o'clock that Geelong are playing against Frio. So obviously you're going to be expecting several thousand people outside watching your match. Yeah, it was it was a good move by Geelong. I think very smart to um, play it on St Mary's because um, you're going to get that crowd um, coming in before the men. So, yeah, exactly. Hopefully, um, yeah, we do get a, a good crowd there. Let's talk about uh, that game against Diamond Creek. Unfortunately, the Creek has uh, got on top early and ran away. I believe, though, you managed to, to slow them down in the third quarter, so some positive signs there. Uh, coming out of that match, what has Paul been able to take away from the positives that you can take from that game moving forward? I think that just that, um, you know, we were competitive like, in some parts of that game. Um, obviously, we had a few lapses, and I think that just, yeah, it comes down to... Um, uh, experience in the end, like I think the experience got on top of us, but um, yeah, I think plenty of positives and um, yeah, just hopefully keep on improving. I know we've got like an intense um, 
like the, the season's going to get more intense for us as it goes on with a couple of touch, tough matches. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we go um, as the season goes on. Been a bit of a stop-start to the season because round three got moved to later in the year. So um, essentially, you've got you had two weeks of bye, two weeks and for the Queen's birthday long weekend, another bye. Um, what's been Paul's approach to that bye weekend? Has it been to have a more intense training session, say on the uh, Wednesday or Thursday night before the break? Yeah, during that bye week, I think um, yeah, we were just. Um, we'll give like um, running sessions um, to do and um, yeah, a bit of gym work just to keep in touch with it all um, just over the break um, yeah but without doing too much as well Has there been much focus this early stage on the game against the Spurs? Because as commentators, we've been looking at it going, this could tell the story for both sides. Obviously, the Spurs last year just missed out on the finals by a few games. They were up and coming. They've got off to an okay start this year. Yourselves at three and one. It seems like, you know, this could tell the story of where both sides could end up. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to this one. I think, yeah, it'll be a great contest. Um, Yeah, both sides in a similar position, as you say. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And um, I think, yeah, we played them in a practice match um, earlier in the year and it was quite close. Um, we both had a few key players out. Um, I know we did and so did they. So, um, yeah, definitely um, should be a good game. Including a few of your uh, former Melbourne teammates, uh, Alicia Newman, Sarah Jolly. So I guess you'll have a little bit of inside knowledge on some of the Spurs. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, Alicia Newman, she's very quick. <laughs> um, and yeah, Jolly is, is good too. So yeah, there's a few there that we know. Um, so yeah, have a bit of an insight on them. <laughs> Now, as we, as we touched on earlier, uh, particularly when you were playing for North Geelong, you had to be in everything and everywhere running around because you didn't have as much depth of talent as you do now at Geelong. What do you find personally yourself as your role now at Geelong? Where do you prefer to play? Where does Paul prefer to play? Yeah, so this year it's a bit different for me. I'm sort of taking on more of a forward role, um, whereas like in the past it would would have been um, in the rut because that's where I sort of needed to be. But, um, yeah, in the forward line this year, um, which is good. It's, it's a chance to sort of develop my game in that area because I haven't really sort of been able to do it in the past. And I think playing at AFL women level, um, that's where I'm probably more um, – suited to play, so if I can sort of develop my game in that area a bit more, um, yeah, at VFL level, um, and hopefully transfer it across to that, it'll be it'll be great, so... Yeah. Having you push up forward more makes a very potent forward line when we have yourself there. Uh, Rochelle Cranston will be obviously down in the forward half. Alicia Habib coming out of the goal square, and as you said, Cassandra Blakeway uh, working around as a forward pocket at the feet. Yeah, exactly. So, um, not a bad forward line there, actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, we lost uh, Jordan Ivey. Um, mm. She did her knee earlier, which is a big loss for us because um, she's a great player. But, yeah, uh, hopefully she'll be, um, she'll be good to go next year. And, um, yeah, we'll just yeah, keep working, working hard as a forward group. <laughs> and, and am I correct in saying I think the crew got around her and cooked her dinner or something like that um, after they yeah. had found out the news? 
Yeah, that's it. Everyone got around though, which is good. And um, yeah, just really showed their support. Um, yeah, because tough times. Um, yeah, when you're out for a year. So yeah, it was just important to get around her. And just for you personally, uh, you're going to be spending a summer up north in uh, Sydney with the GWS Giants. Yeah, yeah, big move for me. Um, but yeah, I thought, why not? Like, it's, it's a good opportunity and um, a chance to improve my footy. So, and just to see a different, um, just a different sporting environment, um, and just to see how like different footy clubs go about it. So. Yeah, I thought, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> so, so for yourself at the moment, are you studying or working casually and that's just allowing you some flexibility to spend some time up there? Yeah, I'm, at the moment I'm studying um, uni and, yes, working casually. So I actually finished uni in October and, yeah, so it worked out nicely. Um, so I'll go up there in November and then back in uni in March. So, yeah, it, it all worked out. Uh, as we always say, all the contracts, of course, in AFLW are one-year contracts, so people can move around a lot, particularly in these um, formative years of the competition. Uh, the club that you're playing for at the moment has uh, bid for a licence for 2019. Is there the temptation, with all respect to the Giants, that uh, should the 2019 one of those licences go to Geelong, you'll be putting your hand up for the Cats? Oh, like, I just like to live in the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to look too far ahead. Um, yeah, at the moment, well, at the moment I'm focusing on VFL footy, but as soon as I'm at the Giants, I'll be focusing fully on the Giants and then, yeah, just, just living in the moment at the moment. <laughs> and, of course, that big yeah. moment, Henry Turner Reserve in Footscray on Sunday, the VUS and Spurs versus Geelong Cats and live on RSN Carnival. Uh, Maddie, thank you very much for joining us here on the Girls Play Footy Show, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you throughout Season 2017. No worries. Thanks, Pete. On many episodes here at Girls Play Footy, we've been talking up the AFL London Women's League. It's been going sensationally well. Two divisions over there made up of seven clubs, one of them the Wandsworth Demon fielding two sides. We know there's sides in Nottingham with the Scorpions, up in Glasgow with the Sharks and the Giants, but not much has been happening down in Wales. But they're trying to change that with a women's footy taster session this weekend, hoping that they can sprout up a nine-a-side league down in that part of Great Britain. And that's why I've got on the line the president of the club, that's Cardiff Panthers, that are hosting this particular session, David Saunders. David, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. Now, how did the Cardiff Panthers, albeit as a men's club, start? Well, uh, it must have been around 2007, 2006, where an Australian from Melbourne, from your from your hometown, from your, uh, that, that city, came over um, looking for a bit of his ancestry and um, in around South Wales, Cardiff, Swansea region, and thought, you know, that's one thing that they that isn't over here, so why not set, set something up? And uh, um, his name was Bryce uh, Stone, and he was the the brainchild behind starting up um, a few te- a few teams over here. So, um, yeah, that, that, that started off really well. Our first little introductory season of two teams and then he formulated some teams from the um, Sarmfall League that he was a fan of. Um, so the Panthers, um, 
kind of take their name from a sample a sample team. So uh, yeah, um, it, it, it started from there really, and um, yeah, we built up into into six six teams uh, fairly quickly, and then that kind of realization was that that we needed to to home it down to, to three or four to make it make this the league work really well so uh, yeah so we've been running since, since then really and I became president after the first season of them starting up uh, and I have been since so uh, yeah been long on, long on the tooth now with the, the presidency but uh, still really enjoy it and uh, yeah love the game uh, and love the spirit that is played in so um, yeah well, of course, down in Wales at the moment, you've got uh, an all-male competition up north uh, in London, particularly where they've got the um, they've got the uh, uh, men's and now women's competitions up there, two divisions. I guess the the challenge is on now, isn't it, for Wales to come up with your own uh, women's league? Yes, exactly. So we we've seen what's happened over over the over the border in England, and uh, you know there's there's some some really good uh, footy players I've played with through um, Wales, but also through Great Britain team, uh, and they've gone off to start coaching um, the England uh, uh, women's team, and I've been to a few tournaments where they've been present, uh, and and the league's just been building and building with the with the women. And yeah, over here it's one of those things where. Uh, it would it would help us. We've got a very family orientated. Is all getting involved, and it's very community spirited. So it, it, the next natural step is to to, to get the women involved and, um, and and not deprive them of, of of a great sport, which I think um, we've got the, the rugby's really taking on here in Wales. And I think that having Aussie rules would complement that really well. Um, and yeah, again, it's it's one of those sports. It's it's, it's a, over here. It's a minority sport, but. Um, it's one of those things that I think it goes strength to strength. And you started by having this taster session coming up this weekend. Can you tell us what it's all about? What will be happening? Yeah, so we had a we had a, a preview taster last weekend, which was which is in Bristol, and and, and we had uh, seven attendees, and it was uh, a, a last minute get together really of just the, the locals in Bristol. That that went really well. Uh, the response was brilliant. This weekend, it's in, it's in Cardiff. It's in our in a, in a rugby club that we we base ourselves called St Peter's uh, in Cardiff. And so, what it will happen? It will be running alongside our. Um, we do little tournaments within the league system. So we've got a males tournament um, that's happening from eleven o'clock till two o'clock, and the women's taster is pretty much alongside that. So there'll be a bit of bit of interplay, a bit of training, uh, but then also watching a bit of the bit of the tournament games as well, um, and, and, and maybe a little little um, makeshift match um, just to get a bit of a bit of a taster in. We've got barbecue running, so um, a lot of the families will be down there as well. So it would be, be a big um, big event for us. So we're really looking forward to it. You said you had seven in Bristol, so I guess fingers will be crossed for big numbers because they had, I think, 40-odd show up at the London Taster session several months ago, and that was during some yeah. freezing cold weather. Uh, exactly. So, I mean, the, the last week was just off the hop. Um, this weekend, we'll have uh, representatives of the England um, England uh, women's team, but also the G representatives of the GB women's team, uh, which is which are going strength to strength uh, these last two years. Um, so, yeah, they'll be down doing the coaching session as well. So, so this one's got a little bit more gravitas to it, and and a bit more um, uh, kind of advertising behind it. 
So we, we really pushed it, and, and, and the feelings out there at the moment have been very positive. So, so yeah, numbers-wise, we, we should be we should be getting up there. We may not get up to the 40 numbers that they have in London, but we just don't have the expats over there. You know, there's quite a lot of Australians based over in in London, um, and so and obviously the, the London League is an 18 aside league, um, so they they tend to have wives and the wags seem to be um, seem to be there alongside. So you know, it, it seems like a natural progression for them to come to come along but over here we're a nine-a-side league um, although it's not the nine-a-side footy that you'd know out there in Australia it, it's, a, it's still a full contact nine-a-side but on a smaller pitch um, but yeah so it's just the, the numbers game really I think it's just about growing that and in Wales the, alter, the alternative sports or the minority sports seem to seem to do pretty well and they're well backed by the community so you know if we can get this up and running we can we can provide we can possibly go for funding um, and really get a club up that's very much male-female um, orientated, which is what we want. Excellent. So that, I guess, is the aim probably out of this taste session to maybe get one or two nine-a-side teams up. And is there the possibility, I guess, we've seen it happening with, uh, I think it's Nottingham, how um, sides will uh, travel to London, uh, some of the players, and play within those London clubs, I guess, on uh, guest spots, if we'll call that. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we recently, this is our first season this year to do an 18-a-side game for our league um, because we felt that we needed something a bit more challenging than, than our nine-a-side games. So we've gone and played uh, Canada uh, two or three weeks ago. Well, no, sorry, that was about a month ago now, where we had a representative team go down there and play Canada, uh, a touring Canada team. Uh, and, and it worked really well. Went across to London, so it's about a two, two-and-a-half-hour drive. But again, not really that far at all in, in a relative scheme of things, especially when we have Australians over here saying, you know, that could be a, a local game. Um, so when we start looking at it from a, a, a relative perspective, it's, it, it's not that far to go and, and, and people are committed enough to, to experience this new sport that they see as new sport um, to, to go and taste that wherever it might be around Britain. So that's a really positive sign, I think. Well, that's one thing I guess to think of. For example, coming up this weekend uh, in Victoria here in Australia, uh, Melbourne Uni are playing uh, Darabin in a VFL women's match in a country town of Hamilton, a three-hour drive outside of Melbourne uh, as part of a special Pride and Inclusion Day. And I guess that's something that as the Wales League looked at in the past to have um, to have a couple, as you said, you've got the Vixens and GB Swans coming down to even have um, two London sides, for example, to come down and play an exhibition match or a game even for premiership points in Cardiff. Yes, precisely, precisely. And I think the standard over in London is, is far, far superior. We actually took part as well in an 18 aside tournament, the London uh, tournament, which we've been invited to before. And as president of the team, I, I tried to, to try and keep it all relative. But um, our, our president of the league, um, of the Welsh league, um, James Gibson, has very much, you know, um, in, in kind of got us all behind this let's go and play tournament. It'll definitely galvanise the league and get us all playing together but when we play against each other we'll, we'll have more of a of a, of a, of a, of a feel of more competitiveness as well and, and, it, and it has really helped so far um, so we've played together in 18 aside games as, 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 as teammates and then in the 9 aside league we played against each other as opposition and that's really helped and I think with the women's side of things we've noticed with London it definitely galvanised their, their, their community their team spirit their, their club kind of ability to, to stick together 
um, whereas it is just solely one um, male orientated, it seemed to be a bit disjointed. And again, I don't like to, 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 to kind of say as males are disorganized, but it, it seems to be that the feel from the outside looking in is that the, the ladies have brought a different element to the game. And also, the skill levels are increasing very quickly. You know, they're, 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 some of the girls down there are extremely are taken on to the sport extremely well. And it's an all-inclusive sport. It's, it's you know, it's, it's one of those games that it's, it's played in the right spirit. And I think that that's the whole point of, of the game. And I think the ladies take to that um, more so than they would take to a, to a more to, a, to to other physical sports like your, like your rugby. Um, so yeah, so I think that that's that's encouraging. And David, just before I let you go, where can people find more information about the Cardiff Panthers and, of course, the big taster session you've got coming up this weekend? Well, we've got an open page on our Facebook, um, so you can just tap in Cardiff Panthers in there, and, and, and the advert at the moment is, is up and live on our Facebook page. Where we've got a good presence on Twitter as well. Um, our designer and web designers are on the case with our website, so Cardiff Panthers website is up and running. So, so Mike Palmer is a, is a very good designer has come on board the last two seasons with us, really helping with galvanising the social media side of things. So the last six months, he's really pushed for that, and he's in a amazing job um, so yeah so they're the, the sites you can see so Cardiff, Cardiff Panthers in a, in a search engine of your choice and uh, get yourself across and uh, it'll tell you about uh, Saturday 11 o'clock down at St Peter's uh, Rugby Ground in Cardiff we look forward to, uh, to, invite, to uh, welcoming uh, the ladies well David thank you very much for joining us and all the very best this weekend for the Cardiff Panthers Women's Data Session Wonderful, Pete. Thank you ever so much for your time and uh, really appreciate uh, the interview. Two representative football matches were played over the weekend between Queensland and WA, both set across under-23 sides, which of course is to try and press selectors of the Brisbane Lions and the Fremantle Dockers, who will be having their draft in October. And uh, the Queenslanders came out on top of the series 2-zip. They won by three points on Friday night, 5-8-38, WA 4-11-35. And a convincing win in the wet on Sunday, 6 8 44 to 2517. Staying with the Queenslanders and the QWAFL uh, restarts with round 10 this Saturday. All games at 4:45 p.m. Maroochydore hosts the Zulmir Eagles. Uh, University of Queensland Red Lions hosts Coolangatta Tweed, and Wilston Grange hosts Cooparoo. With Yuronga South Brisbane having the bye. Over in the WAWFL, of course, it wasn't the long weekend over in WA, so they had footy there. And uh, East Perth won behind, were defeated by the Peel Thunderbirds, 27-21. 183. East Fremantle 2517 went down to Swan Districts 4731. Coastal Titans 141296 defeated South Fremantle 128. And West Perth 3321 defeated by Claremont 15999. Perth Angels with the bye. So round 10 looks like this at East Fremantle Oval. Of course, it's going to be their uh, big uh, pass players day there. 12.30pm start for the league game uh, on Sunday between East Fremantle East Perth. Uh, 2pm Claremont hosting the Peel Thunderbirds. Sunday, 2pm, Coastal Titans hosting Perth Angels. And Sunday, 2pm, Swan Districts hosting West Perth, South Fremantle with the bye. And joining us on the line now to talk about the Adelaide Footy League women's competition, in particular Division 1, we've got on the line from the Two Crows podcast, Alison Schiller. Alison, how are you? Fantastic, Peter. And how are you going over there? Mate, always good. And it's great that the footy's back after the Queen's birthday long weekend. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to it, to get cracking into it this weekend. But but before we start, Peter, I have, have a little question to ask you, if that's okay. Okay, fire it at me. What you got? 
Okay, um, is it true that maybe someone over there has been chasing some kangaroos? I would say very critically, yes. Um, I reckon some falcons have swooped on a particular roo from the Adelaide Crows. Let's just say she's a rising star. A rising kangaroo, you reckon, eh? That would be one Ebony Marinoff due to play the remainder yeah. of the Victorian Football League women's competition with the Darabin Falcons. Well, what a coup for the Darabin Falcons to have uh, Ebony Marinoff running around with them for their season. And the rest of their season. I, I think a few VFLW sides will be pulling their hair out going, if Darabin weren't strong enough, they just went and got the rising star <laughs> from the AFLW. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. But um, the reason I suppose people are going, why am I not so upset about it, is of course that she's still signed on for the Crows the next year and she's in a side where they've currently got five AFLW players and can only play three a game. So realistically, I understand her wanting to keep playing weekly and in a strong team like the Darabin Falcons as well, Peter. Well, indeed, because we should point out, as you said, in the in the Adelaide Football League women's competition, a cap of three AFLW players, where in Victoria, there's no actual cap of AFLW players, but you've got points allocated to each player, and you have to work within a certain salary cap point system. For the Darabin Falcons, I believe Ebony Marinoff will probably come over at something like maybe eight points. You'll be coming across at high points, being a transfer from an mm-hmm. interstate club and an AFLW player. But the trick is, they've had players like, for example, uh, if Daisy Pierce was to run out and pull on the boots tomorrow for the Darwin Falcons. She'd only be worth one point, the minimum points, simply because she's been playing at the club for years. So the longer you play at a club, the more your points come down. Right. Oh, that's an interesting way to work it out. So when people talk about all these superstars at Darabin, when it comes to the salary cap point system, their points are actually, most of them are very minimal because they've been playing together at the club for so long. But anyway, that's another Victorian football. We didn't talk about Adelaide football. Round three... This is Division 1, and it kicks off 6.30pm Saturday night. Modbury hosting Salisbury. That's correct. So we've got Modbury who are currently sitting with zero wins, and Salisbury sitting on one win against Port Adelaide. Now, this actually should be a great tussle. Um, obviously, Modbury are fighting for a win with the Chloe Shear and Carissa Searle, I think, should put up a good fight in there. But uh, as was breaking on the Crows' uh, web tonight, is that one Chelsea Randall, Captain Courageous herself, appears to be pulling on the boots for the Salisbury Magpies. And as might, I saw footage of young Jeff Hedgenary uh, running around in the background at training. And so hopefully that means one Sarah Chalky Allen might also be there as well. So whether one or all line up, but I think just any of those inclusions will tip at Salisbury's way. And although it should be a great game, I think it'll prove too tough for the Hawks. Hawks, sorry, again. At City Mazda Stadium, 7pm Saturday night, West Adelaide have got the challenge of trying to rein in Adelaide University. Yeah, Adelaide Uni undefeated and they've won their last two games by a combined total of 245 points, if you don't mind. Now, we had Westies that came off an 89-point win last week, so they should be both avoiding that. This should be the game of the round. And the interesting stat that I managed to find out today is Westies have actually been a bit of a bogey side for Adelaide Uni, beating them in all four instances last year when they met. So this should be game on. Uh, Adelaide Uni are going to be without up to four key players, including poor Tate Mackerel, who had her collarbone operated on and has some plates and screws in there. So a great test for Adelaide Uni. Let's really see where they can be at. 
and for Westies to see how far they can push, but I do tip Adelaide Uni to beat the Hoodoo and get across the line. And in the sole game on the Sunday, 3pm at Alberton Oval, Port Adelaide Magpies hosting the Morpherville Park Roos. Yes, so obviously Morphys are going to be uh, less one rule at the moment because she's gone over the west, down the Western Highway to Darrowland. But in saying that, they've also got players Dana Cox and CJ Courtney Clayne did not play last week, so they'd be a strong opportunity to come in for the Roos. Um, for Port Adelaide Magpies, well, they had an injury to Beth McMahon, who was a key player for them. So it will be an interesting game. So Morphys will be desperate, I reckon, to bounce back after last week's uh, shellacking from Port, uh, sorry, from Adelaide Uni, and Port Adelaide will be pretty bored after they went on the road last week, and should feel more comfortable at home. But I think the Roos will get over the line here with their AFLW inclusions, assuming that CJ and Banner come in. Uh, for obviously one of them will come in for Marinoff, but also you've got Bernard and, and Georgia Bevan, and it's also a happy birthday for Georgia Bevan who celebrated this week. Well, Alison, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We look forward to catching up with you next week for a review and preview of the Adelaide Football League Women's Division 1 competition. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for having me. Time for a quick look at the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition. Round six this weekend. One game on the Saturday, one game on the Sunday. Saturday, 12.30pm at KGV. Glenorchy hosting the Bernie Dockers. While on Sunday at 12pm at Jelston Bay Oval, Clarence hosting Launceston. To the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. It all kicks off with a big game Saturday afternoon, 3pm at Melville Oval in Hamilton as part of Pride and Inclusion day. It is Melbourne Uni versus the Darabin Falcons. It will be our match of the day on RSN Carnival. We'll be live on air at 2pm and I've got on the line one of our callers for the day, Matthew Cox. Coxie, what a big game this is between the Muggers and the Falcons. The second time they've clashed this season. Yeah, they faced off in round one and it was a win to the Muggers on that occasion. The first game of the 2017 season was a scrappy one. Couldn't really read um, that match apart from the fact Darabin had a number of players missing. They had a few injuries that day as well, which meant they went a, a couple of down on the bench. So you couldn't really read what the form was like for, for the Falcons as the season's gone on. We've discovered that uh, they haven't really found that uh, plug to fill the gap for all some of these stars that continue to miss from the side. Hopefully we'll be seeing a few of them this weekend. For the Muggers, not firing on all cylinders. Their win uh, last time out was probably the best one of the season to date. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think when we spoke to Andrew Jago a few weeks back um, at the Peanut Farm Reserve, he said that there's a, a big long list that they'll be looking to, to try and tick off um, and just work towards those objectives throughout the rest of the season. I reckon they're going to face some stiff competition this weekend against the Falcons. They'll be rolled up, ready to go. Big match uh, all the way down in Hamilton. So they'll bring everything for this one. But I reckon the Muggers will be too strong. Darabin may have in their side AFLW rising star Ebony Marinoff from the Adelaide Crows. She's made her way to Melbourne. She'll be playing with the Falcons. The question is, will she make her debut this week? 
I have a feeling she probably will. I think Darabin will throw everything in the kitchen sink at Melbourne Uni because simply if they lose this, they're two and three and they give Melbourne Uni a mental edge, a two-zip uh, win ratio over them during the season. And it would allow Melbourne Uni to put some space on Darabin and hope that puts them wobbly towards the top four. I've just got a feeling Darabin are probably approaching the part of the season where they want to start making a statement. Yeah, and this is a great opportunity too. The Muggers... Whilst they're second on the ladder, they haven't done anything too flashy just yet. Um, and obviously, they'll be looking to make a statement to say, hey, you've got a good side in. We can still get over the top of you. Darabin, as you say, they're, they're starting to get into a sticky situation. If they leave their run too late, they might fall a couple of games behind that top four. Having said that, um, it's going to be a great test for the Muggers um, and a great test for the Falcons too. Can they find the form that they've had so long at the elite level of women's football or uh, or is the era officially done and dusted? I don't think it is. I think the Falcons will be able to find something towards the latter part of the season, but uh, I just think they're not a settled group just yet. They're still trying to work out how some of the, the younger players that have come in to, to uh, bridge a bit of that depth gap. Um, they're just still trying to work out the structures of playing in the senior side. So I don't think it's going to gel for the Falcons this weekend, but I think in the not-too-distant future, we'll see the Falcons evolve. But I'm tipping the Muggers this weekend, and I think they'll do it by about three goals. 4.30pm on Saturday afternoon at Casey Fields. Cranbourne hosts the Seaford Tigerettes. They played a ripper of a game last year where Cranbourne got the early jump, and then Seaford came back and rolled over the top of them. A big rivalry between these two southeast teams and in the context of the season too this is a massive game for both of these sides Seaford currently sitting on the bottom of the ladder without a win from the first four games Cranbourne just the one victory to date big match um, two sides of the competition that we thought may have taken a step in terms of development this year both have had a number of injuries a lot of experienced players missing from those sides Cranbourne seems seem to start finding the, the form that they had towards the back end of last year uh, with a nice little win over Box Hill a couple of weeks ago. For Seaford, the worrying sign for them is the fact that they just can't hit the scoreboard. They seem to be able to get it inside attacking 50, but without a dominant presence up there, they just can't kick goals and, and convert those opportunities. So that's a real question mark for them. Going to go with Cranbourne this weekend, but it's going to be a good test to see where these sites are at considering their uh, level in terms of development. Let's flick across to Sunday and our match of the day at Henry Turner Reserve in Footscray. 2pm bounce down. VU Western Spurs host the Geelong Cats. Yeah, if you want a round of women's football to watch, this is it. There are some spectacular games across both Saturday and Sunday and, and this one is another one. The, the Spurs... Floating under the radar at the moment, I think. Currently sitting third on the ladder. Three wins, one loss for the season. Uh, they have played some of the, the softer sides of the competition. Good test, though, for Geelong. They got smacked by Diamond Creek last time out um, after starting the season full of confidence. You hope that hasn't dented them too much and you hope that they can come out and, and give a good fight up against the Spurs. 
If the VU Western Spurs are a genuine contender in 2017, you'd have to think they would wipe Geelong off the park, similar to what Diamond Creek did to them a couple of weeks ago. If Geelong are a serious contender, then you expect them to rebound and really take it up to the Spurs. But I think uh, the good old side from Footscray out my side of town, they'll uh, get the job done by about five goals in this game. But uh, looking forward to this one, should be a cracker. The new Eastern Suburbs rivalry, the Eastern Devils host Box Hill at Mulgrave Reserve, Sunday 2pm. Yeah, pivotal game for the Eastern Devils. Only one win to date so far in 2017. They're actually level at the moment with Cranbourne on the ladder. They really need to make a statement in this game. And unfortunately for, for Box Hill, we know that they've had good quarters here and there, but they just haven't been able to string uh, a, a decent match together. I don't think they're going to do it this time out either. I think the Devils uh, need to come out. They've had a, a couple of weeks to readjust their expectations for 2017, and I'm expecting them to give Box Hill a walloping. I'm expecting expecting a 10-goal victory, and if... The Devils don't get anywhere near that, then I think they have some real concerns heading into the back part of the season because they're starting to lose touch with the top four, even top six sides of the competition. I'll go as far as making the statement that if Box Hill by somehow surprise the Devils and beat them, you can wipe the Devils off for any finals hopes. That's how serious the situation is for the Devils. They must win, win comfortably, boost their percentage and get back on the rails. Well, not only that, as you say, they need to win comfortably just to get their season back on track. I mean, they've had, well, the, the the one win that they've had so far this season, they just scraped over the line to get it. Um, apart from that, they've, they've pushed sides. That's the other disappointing thing. They've pushed sides and probably should have won games that they've lost. Um, and so that's how they've ended up in this situation. And they just need to find some confidence. That, that's biggest thing for the Devils, I know they've still got some key players missing from that side, but um, geez, they want to make a statement this weekend, otherwise I think they are in a bit of trouble. And finally, at the Peanut Farm 2pm on Sunday, St Kilda Sharks versus Diamond Creek. What a way to round out round five of the competition. Uh, these two sides, St Kilda, going okay, uh, two and two, even... Uh, even spread so far this year in terms of win loss for them and of course uh, the news during the week that Taylor Harris will be joining the Sharks a little later this year, the uh, former Brisbane player that's moving to Carlton for the uh, AFLW 2018 season will be playing with the Sharks towards the back end of the year which will hopefully provide a target for them up forward um, for Diamond Creek they just need to keep doing what they're doing at the moment. Four wins on the trot, good wins. Uh, probably one of the first times, apart from the uh, the Darabin game a couple of weeks ago, that they're going to be pushed a little bit. The Sharks are there or thereabouts. They'd be hoping to make the top four this year, so a good chance for them to uh, to really see where where they're where they're at and whether they can put in a good performance, but I'm expecting Diamond Creek to run over the top of them. I think a four-goal victory to the Creekers will see them remain undefeated in 2017. I'd go as far as saying if this game was at Plenty War Memorial Park, that Diamond Creek would have been easily odds-on favourite to give the Saints a bit of a walloping. But at the Peanut Farm, we know the St Kilda come roaring home in the final quarter on their home deck. So uh, I, I just got a feeling they could give the Creekers one heck of a fright. 
Yeah, you just hope that they don't leave their run too late as they have in a couple of their other games. It's taken them a long time to get going and the back half of the third term or, or the start of the fourth where uh, they finally uh, get the ball rolling. So if, they, if they're with them at half time, I'll give them a sniff. But if they're not, I think the Creekers will run away with it. Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here. We look forward to uh, catching up with you on Saturday, live on air from 2pm for a 3pm bounce down, Melbourne Uni versus Darabin Falcons at Melville Oval in Hamilton. Yeah, looking forward to it. Not looking forward too much to the uh, road trip. Three hours in a car with you I'm a bit concerned about. But uh, uh, looking forward, it should be a big day in in Hamilton and a a great game of footy as well. a big game of footy. If you've got an opportunity across this weekend to check out some women's footy, there are plenty of games right across the metropolitan area. So get along, check it out, because it's going to be a ripper round. Time to take a look down at the AFL Canberra Women's League. We've got three games on the Saturday, two on the Sunday. This is round 10 footy. 10 a.m. Saturday, Alan Ray Oval, Ainsley Tricolors hosting the Balkana Magpies. 12 p.m. Saturday, Kingston Oval, Eastlake Demons hosting the ADFA Rams. 4.30 p.m. on Saturday, Gungarland Jets hosting the Riverina Lions, 9.45am Sunday at All Insure Park. Quimbian Tigers hosting ANU Griffins and 10am Sunday at Sterling 101. Mongolo Juggernauts hosting the Tugranong Hawks. Kudamundra Blues having the bye. Time to look down at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. I've got on the line in Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, thank you very much for joining us. Great to have you back over the long weekend. And I tell you what, it is really nice to have footy back, isn't it, after a long weekend. And I guess to some players, uh, it's time to get over those aches and pains and those little niggly injuries and reset themselves for almost the second half of the season. And we kick off uh, with all games on Saturday, 12 o'clock at Pick and Oval, with the Western Wolves hosting the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, I mean, look, as you said, I think all teams are looking forward to the break. It gives them a chance, as you said, to get over some of those niggles. Uh, for some teams, it also gives them perhaps a bit of a chance to sort of regroup, reset themselves uh, for the second half of the year. Um, but, yeah, look, the, the Western Wolves, I think, would have been one of those teams that were looking forward to the break, um, having not had a great first half of the season. Um, they'll be looking forward to playing at home. Um, but given Sydney's still uh, undefeated and their game before the break won by over 100 points. I'd be expecting Sydney Uni to have a big win over the Wolves on Saturday, Peter. At Mahoney Park at 12.30pm, the Newtown Breakaways host the Auburn Penrith Giants. Yeah, look, I think um, the Breakaways obviously had a win uh, the two games before the break um, in a close game. And uh, I actually think they might have a win at their home ground this weekend. Uh, Auburn, uh, Penrith Giants have been playing really well. But I think the Breakaways might get their second win of the season here in a close one. And what also begs to be another close game at Gawley Oval, 2.30pm. The Southern Power host the UTS Shamrocks. Yeah, so the last time these sides met, uh, UTS had a, a fairly decent win um, over the power at home on their ladies' day. Uh, that day, the power lost uh, four plays to injury by half time, um, and the Shamrocks had a really good second quarter. So I think the power will be aware of the Shamrocks um, sort of having a bit of a tendency to start slowly but coming out strong after the first break. Uh, but I think playing at home, um, the power will get the win. I think it'll be a close one. Uh, but expecting power to win by a couple of goals there. 
And finally, a quarter past five, it's Twilight Football, Mac Uni hosting the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays. Yeah, look, I think uh, the Stingrays will continue the winning streak and have a win over the Warriors there. Um, Rays have only lost one game this year. And, uh, yeah, I think they'll uh, continue on their winning streak there, Peter. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here as always. We look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Looking forward to it. That just about wraps things up for this week's episode. Before I go, a quick reminder on RSN Carnival. We have two Swiss Wellness VFL women's matches we're covering this week and Saturday on air at 2pm for a 3pm bounce down. Melbourne University versus the Darabin Falcons. Sunday on air at 1pm for a 2pm bounce down. The VU Western Spurs hosting the Geelong Cats at Henry Turner Reserve in Footscray. Both games are going to be absolute crackers. Make sure to join us then. And a quick reminder you can download Girls Play Footy's weekly show as a podcast by going to iTunes or SoundCloud and searching for Girls Play Footy. Or, of course, you just listen to RSN Carnival, quarter past six Wednesday evenings, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, I've been Peter Holden. Thanks for your company, and it's bye for now.